Hello, and welcome to For the Journey, a podcast offering formation and inspiration to Christians longing for more of God in their lives and in the world. For the Journey is presented by Coracle, a ministry committed to inspiring and enabling people to be the presence of God in the brokenness of the world through spiritual formation for kingdom action. We want to help you grow deeper in your relationship with God so that you can go further into the world with God's loving, healing, redeeming power. For the Journey is a space where each week we hope to help you encounter God and live a more integrated life of faith in the world by offering a regular rhythm of reflections, guided spiritual practices, thoughtful conversations, and more. Merry Christmas, everyone. This week, we are sharing a sermon delivered by Bill Haley back in 2018 on the highly unique claims Christianity makes about God, ourselves, and the world, and why that uniqueness is very good news, even today. Here's Bill. God, thank you so much for your amazing love. Oh, Lord, please open our hearts that we may receive it. And know it. Now, Lord, we also ask that you would open our hearts to your word. Send your Holy Spirit that we might understand it. Our hearts are full of gratitude. And we are eager, we are eager to see. So, please send your Holy Spirit now to open your word to us that we might know again and even more so your amazing love. Amen. 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 Morning, friends. It is, I cannot tell you how excited I am to be in this building. I just love it. I love it every time. Um, it just feels so good to be together, a community of faith, brothers and sisters, and um, it's all foretaste, right? It's all foretaste of what is coming. So just know that my heart is full of joy to be with you this morning and, um, <laughs> and able to see you. Uh, for, some, for some, there is a tendency to think... <clears throat> that the great religions of the world are basically the same. Just different ways of approaching God developed over time because of cultural differences. And Christianity then becomes just one of the options, right? Like choosing something off of a religious buffet, you know, chicken or meat or beef. They're both meat, right? Well, Christianity is not just one of the options. It is fundamentally different than all other religions in at least two ways. The first is the crucifixion of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. So for Lent, I've been reading a wonderful book entitled very simply, The Crucifixion by a woman named Fleming Rutledge. And she begins, Christianity is unique. The world's religions have certain traits in common, but until the gospel of Jesus Christ burst upon the Mediterranean world, no one in the history of human imagination had conceived of such a thing as the worship of a crucified man. The early Christian preaching announced the entrance of God upon the stage of history in the person of an itinerant Jewish teacher, who had been ingloriously pinned up alongside two of society's cast-offs to die horribly, 
rejected and condemned by religious and secular scholars alike, discarded onto the garbage heap of humanity, scornfully forsaken by both elites and common folk, leaving behind only a discredited, demoralized handful of scruffy disciples who had no status whatsoever in the eyes of anyone. The peculiarity of this beginning for a world-transforming faith is not sufficiently acknowledged. An understatement if there ever was one. The cross makes Christianity unique. There is something else. Philip Yancey recounts the story of a conference being held in Britain some time ago on comparative religions when religious experts from around the world had gathered and they were debating what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. And so they started by eliminating possibilities. And the debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room and he listened for a little while and he finally just said, so what's the rumpus all about? And he heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. And Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. Grace. God's love in our direction, even though we don't do a thing to deserve it, and we cannot do a thing to earn it. He just loves us. Us. He just loves each one of you. Grace. We don't do a thing to earn or merit the forgiveness of our sins, except believe that we need it and that on the cross, Jesus, the crucified God, paid our debt completely and forgives our disobedience. Grace. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of your works. The cross and grace, two things that make our faith in Jesus utterly unique. Two things that make all the difference. It's been so moving this past week, hasn't it, to see Billy Graham lying in state in the rotunda of our own Capitol building. This is basically our nation's highest honor, and for Billy Graham, it was rightly given. There was a great column in the Washington Post that led with this title, Billy Graham was consumed by grace. And I quote him, I quote Graham this morning to honor him as well. And he too combines these two things about the Christian faith that make it different from all others. He says, the motive of grace, the motive of grace was the infinite, compassionate love of a merciful God. But the work of grace was the death of Christ on the cross. So in January, we started this series on how grace changes everything by looking at grace and God's character. We spent a month on that. And then in February, we considered how grace relates to our generous living in a number of ways. And these next few weeks, we're looking at how grace informs our response to God. And then after Easter, we will look at how grace works in our relationship with each other and others. 
So for this morning and from our passage in Hebrews 4, what is our response to God in light of God's grace? And there are two main things, and they are simple. And they can almost sum up the Christian life. Number one, keep believing in Jesus. And number two, pray boldly and a lot. We're going to focus on that second one, but first a few words about the first. So this is Hebrews 4.14. Since then, we have a a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Hold fast our confession of what? Well, right there in the verse, you can see what we're supposed to hold fast to, our confession. We hold on to our faith that Jesus is the Son of God. It's right there, right? That Jesus raised from the dead, that Jesus is alive, and that because of Jesus, our sins have been atoned for. Our guilt has been, has been forgiven. Our debt has been paid off. And that's from this phrase, our great high priest. In the Old Testament, the high priest would make a sacrifice of an animal to atone for the sins of the people so that God would make the people clean. Well, Jesus is the great high priest who sacrifices himself so that our sins can be wiped away, so that we can be made clean, so that we can be made righteous before God. After the cross... No more sacrifices need to be made because Jesus is both priest and victim. Later in Hebrews 9, 11, we read that when Christ appeared as a high priest, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but rather by means of his own blood, thus securing our eternal redemption. What the blood of Christ grants to us is redemption by forgiveness. Yes and amen. And thereby, we have access to God. Before Jesus, we were separated from God. Our sins were too great and too many to be in the presence of a holy God. Our sin kept us shut out of God's throne room. You know happens from time to time. It happened again a week or so ago. A troubled person tries to get into the White House without permission or authorization. Maybe you read about it. And as always happens, and as should, the Secret Service and security personnel swooped in. They arrested her and they took her away. They didn't let her in. She didn't have access. And that's what it would be like for us trying to get access to God without the forgiveness of our sins. We don't get in. We have to stay on the outside of the fence. But because of the grace of God shown through Jesus, we do have access to God. We get to go through the gate and then go through the door and then walk right up into God's presence, his throne room. And not only that, we get to climb up onto God's lap and feel his warm embrace and we get to talk to him. We get to listen to him. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and preach peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to, in one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of the household of God. In other words, because of Jesus, we belong in God's house. We not only get let in, we belong there as sons and daughters of God. And so in Ephesians 3, Paul says that in Jesus, we have boldness and access and confidence through our faith in him. So our first response to God in view of his grace through Jesus is, and here I'm tempted to play that song by Journey from 1981, Don't Stop Believing." right? Hold fast your confession of faith in Christ. That's our first response to the grace of God. The second response is to keep praying. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ah. I've just, I'm, I've, I have fallen, I've loved this verse, but this week I've fallen even more in love with this verse. I'm actually going to read it again and slowly. This is very powerful. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne of grace. In the Old Testament and still, the throne of a king symbolizes his authority his power, his judgment. Only the king gets to sit there. And there are chairs like that today, aren't there? Hmm? There are chairs that you don't sit in if the person who belongs in them is in the room. <laughs> and if they're really important, then you don't sit there at all, even if they're not in the room. Right? The throne is a symbol of the king's greatness, who they are, their rightful authority. It is a symbol of their identity. And I find it so beautiful that of all the ways the throne could have been described here, it could have been called the throne of judgment. That would have been legitimate. It could have been called God's throne of holiness. That also works. Or the throne of power or the throne of justice. All of those would have been accurate. But the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls it the throne of grace. It's telling us who God is that God is fundamentally a God of grace. So in light of this, we are called to draw near to it and to God with confidence. The Greek in this verse unlocks the whole thing for us. We're actually going to look at four of the Greek words in here. All right, so the word for, for draw near in Greek, pros erkamai, means literally to come close, to get into close proximity. But not only that, specifically getting close for the purpose of interacting or saying something. The reason you draw near is what helps us understand what it means in this verse. You draw near to God in order to talk to God. That's what this means. In other words, we now have access to God through our great high priest, Jesus. So use that access to pray. And to pray expecting that God can hear and will answer. This isn't draw near just to admire God. This isn't draw near just to feel the warmth of God's presence. This is draw near in order to say something. That's what this Greek word means. 
A few chapters later in Hebrews 11, this word shows up again. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. There's faith. Keep on believing. And that he rewards those who seek him. Believe and come close to speak, to pray. Well, pray how? Well, with confidence. Therefore, we draw near with confidence, it says in our translation. In other translations, this word is boldly. And in the message, it goes like this. I like it. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. The Greek word here for confidence is parasius, and it implies freedom, a great openness, and here we go, especially freedom in speech. Okay? It means to speak frankly, to speak without reservation, to say what's actually on your mind. So it's like in the military. Right? One soldier of a lower rank says to a soldier of a higher rank, permission to speak, sir. And the response is, Sp- speak freely. Speak freely, parasius. Right? So like in Acts 4, 31, during a meeting of the early church, says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and here it comes, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness, parasius. Or in John 10, The Jews come up to Jesus and they said, how long are you going to keep us guessing? If you're the Messiah, tell us straight out, Parasius. Or in Mark 8, Jesus finally tells the disciples what's going to happen to him, verse 32, and he told them this plainly, Parasius. So Bartimaeus, who we heard read about this morning in Mark 8, models what it means to speak out boldly, doesn't he? And to ask God for something. When he saw Jesus, it says, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And what did he do? But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now that's a man who knows that he's got access. Not only did he cry out, he cries out all the more. And Jesus did have mercy on him. So back to our verses this morning. So verse 14, because of the cross of Jesus, we have been given access to the father. Hmm? So let's take advantage of it. In the words of the message, now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. Then verse 16, let us draw near. Let's come close to God in order to say something with confidence and then pray freely, honestly, boldly to the throne of grace because grace is what God wants to show us because grace is who God is and because help is what God wants to give to us. And that's the rest of this verse, right? See the so that right there? Why do, we, why do we draw near with confidence to the throne of grace? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Find grace to help in time of need. The Greek word for help there is bothea. Did you know that this word in Greek shows up only one other time in the whole New Testament? 
It's in Acts 27, 17. So Paul is in a boat on the Mediterranean Sea and a huge storm blows up. We know something about huge storms, don't we? <laughs> right? And the sailors aren't sure that their boat is going to hold together. So they get to a little harbor. They pull the boat out of the water. They hoist it up and they wrap it with ropes. <laughs> they wrap it in ropes and they tighten them down to help Bothea to help it hold together during the storm. What a powerful, powerful image. We pray to find mercy, to find grace, (laughs) and to get help to help hold our lives together. And especially when the waves feel high, and especially when we don't know how we're going to make it. So from time to time, I go to a monastery uh, for a little spiritual retreat. And the monks together pray five times a day of every day of every year as they've done every decade as they've been doing for centuries. And each of these five services every day begins with the same sung prayer from Psalm 70. Oh God, come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. Five services every day starts the same way. And so I once asked my spiritual director, said, why do you guys start uh, all these prayer services with the exact same prayer for so long? And he said, smiling, he said, because we need the help. (laughs) Because we need the help. Blessed is the man or the woman who knows that they need the help. I think probably one of our most easy faults, especially in our area, is to not ask for help enough. That makes sense? I don't think we ask for God's help enough. We trust ourselves too much. I think a great sin in Washington would be the sin of self-reliance. It's not exclusive to us, but we are mightily afflicted with it. So, amen? If you are a human being, we do need God's help and grace and, and blessed are we when we ask for it. And thanks be to God, he delights in giving us help and giving grace upon grace upon grace. So for today, our response to God's grace is as simple as it is powerful. First, friends, let us keep on believing in Jesus. Let's hold fast our confession of faith. And then second, because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross and because of the access that we've been given, let us pray boldly and a lot. The cross and grace, these are truths that not only make Christianity unique, they're truths that will help us weather all the storms in this thing called life. Lord, our hearts are full of gratitude this morning for what you have done for us and your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask, O Lord, that you would 
pour out your spirit on us to compel us to take the access that we've been given through your love and that we would pray boldly and a lot, full of gratitude, mindful of who you are, mindful of your amazing love for us. We love you. We thank you. Pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to For the Journey. We hope you'll join us again next week. And in the meantime, you can explore past episodes and see what we're up to at inthecoracle.org and on social media at inthecoracle. If you were blessed by what you just heard, please subscribe as we'll be releasing new episodes each week. Please also feel free to rate and review the show and share this episode around with others who might be blessed by it. For the Journey is made possible by the generous support of our Coracle partners, the wonderful men and women who choose to support this ministry through their prayers and financial gifts. If you're one of our partners and are listening, we are so grateful for you. If you would like to join us as a sustaining partner, you can set up a monthly donation of any amount at inthecoracle.org support. The link is in the show notes. Our growing community of partners gets access to tailor-made resources, gifts, and events, and we would love for you to be a part of that. Our theme song is Mystery Hymn from our friends at Lowland Hum. Please give them a listen wherever you get your music. And so, friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen, and we will see you on the journey. Hallelujah.